Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, okay, hey, so we're going to be in Luke 15 looking at a super familiar uh, parable today. We're between series. We just wrapped up our time in Exodus, and next week starts Advent. So if you're not in the holiday spirit yet, you've got a week to get there and join the rest of us. So we'll start Advent uh, next week. So today we're going to look at the prodigal son uh, because I feel like when we dive into that parable, we can really find so many reasons to be truly thankful uh, as believers uh, this morning. So I'll start with a question for you. Do you guys have any uh, family pets laying around in the house? Probably home right now. Uh, family pets. We've got a few. Uh, we've had a few of these right now. We have uh, my dog. I chose him. His name is Sammy. He lives in Kansas City with my uh, parents. My, my mom is here today, and uh, she's wondering why I didn't mention the cat. That's because in order for a pet to be considered a family pet, the whole family has to like him, and that cannot be said about the cat. So <laughs> that's, just, that's just how I am with Truman the cat. Sammy is my dog. Uh, I told my parents before I left high school, if you let me leave high school without letting me have a dog, you have failed me as parents. And guys, teenagers, that worked, if you're wondering. It totally worked. We went out and picked him out, and uh, he's been my favorite person ever since then. Uh, So one day, if you have a family pet, you may know the feeling when you possibly have lost that pet. They got out. Let loose. I don't know. Maybe you felt that. This happened to my family earlier on this year when my parents got home from church to find out that the back door to the house had been left open and Sammy is nowhere to be found. So they begin searching for him everywhere. My dad is in the car in the neighborhood. Ma's posting on the neighborhood Facebook page, which I hear are so helpful and productive. Um, and then like making the signs and all this. And there's no sign of the dog. And then they text me and my two brothers who live in two other states saying, really short text, hey, pray for us. Sammy's gone. We can't find him. And that's it. And like they don't answer the phone for a while. And it's like, yeah, helplessness, just helplessness sitting down here in Houston. This is happening in Kansas City. Like I felt hopeless. All I could do is like pray, hope. And then watch my family's security cameras to hopefully see this dog come by. And yeah, it was like helpless, hopeless. What had happened was we think that wind blew a door from the garage door, blew a door shut, trapping Sam in a bathroom. And they didn't know he was in there. That's where his food is. He hangs out around there, got trapped in the bathroom. And they had no idea. They searched for probably an hour, hour and a half before they finally opened that door. Out he comes, all as well. He never knew anything was wrong. <laughs> so I tell you that story to tell you this, that even though Sammy was in the house, he was still lost. He was in the home and he was still lost. The parable of the prodigal son, it has that element of the wayward child, right? And maybe that's your story. Maybe you have had that in your family. The the son or daughter who was wayward and then God brings them back home. Praise God for that victory. That's totally in this story. But another element that is easily missed is looking at somebody 
who has been in church their whole life, been in the house their whole life, and still can possibly live in just as much rebellion as that wayward child has, as that prodigal son has. So that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. Look at these two uh, brothers. So I'm going to start reading in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. If you could find your place there in verse 11. And we're just going to walk through this parable. There is so much to see in here, and we've got a little less than... 20 minutes. So lots to, lots to come. So let's start reading in verse 11. This is Jesus. Jesus says, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent Everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the paws that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Okay, so we'll take a break right there. So we've got the first of these two sons in this story. I'm sure you guys know the story. We've got two brothers. The first is the younger brother. And I want you to see that he makes an outrageous request of his dad. An outrageous request of his father. Give me my share of the property. Give me my inheritance. And he's asking this before his father is dead. And what you should know about this time is that the oldest sibling, the oldest brother in this story, gets a double portion of what the younger siblings get. Meaning in this story, the older brother gets two-thirds of the father's inheritance and the younger gets one-third. So that's what this younger brother is asking for. Give me a whole third of your entire property, your entire estate, your entire wealth. Give me a third of it. But he's asking for much, much more than money. Much more than money, because he's asking for this inheritance before his father is dead. So essentially, he is wishing his father it to be dead. He's coming at him with this outrageous request to liquid, like, you know, like liquidate everything, sell the property so that he can give him uh, this money. And the absurd response of his father is this: that he grants that he he just he just divides his land, just gives it to him right out of the gate, divides his land, gives it to him, and not long after, this young man takes all of his new wealth and leaves. Because that was his plan all along, right? That was what he wanted with this inheritance. How many 16-year-olds do you know with a Roth IRA? No, because like young men do not take money and like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to save that. 
put that away. Let that interest accumulate. No, that's not what they're doing. He was gone from the moment his father said, okay, I'll give it to you. And he leaves. And we know that he goes and he lives recklessly. In pure apathy, runs off with his father's money and lives recklessly. We don't know exactly what he did. Jesus gives us a detail later. Uh, but we know that his habits were expensive. Really, really expensive. And they cost him his whole inheritance and he finds himself in need. So a really basic principle to take from that is that sin is always going to take you further than you want to go. And it will cost you more than you think it, want, it, it would have cost you in the first place. Sin is costly. Sin is also attractive. But it is costly it will cost you very, very much. And this leads me to wonder that this younger brother, he's looking at this money and he has gotten a taste of what it would be like to live outside of the world. What is so attractive to him? What is so attractive to him about living outside of his father's care? And there's some things that I think in our day that would make this look living outside the father's house that would make it look attractive some things are happiness fulfillment satisfaction validation this young man is going on a journey of self-discovery he wants to find new truth he wants to find new purpose he wants to find new life and then at the bottom of the screen you see that word independence he craves independence that's what he wants he wants to be separated from his father he wants to be separated from his caregiver separated from what he thinks is a culture of law of rules and of what he thinks is condemnation just being held over his head ready to burst like a bubble at the first moment that he messes up so that's what he wants to escape and he craves that independence I, if you remember back to what it was like being when you first got your driver's license i work with teenagers they all get their driver's license and it's like all right cool praying for you like that's that's kind of where i'm at with the it's a blast but you you know what that feeling is you get independence and you are ready to just get out there and this young brother he's got his engines burning to go ready to launch he just wants to get cut loose he wants to detach he wants to deconstruct find a brand new life where really he can live the way he wants to live he can believe what he wants to believe without feeling like the condemnation and being watched by his father. He wants to escape that kind of authority and that kind of condemnation that he thinks is waiting for him back at home. But what we're going to see through a whole theme in this parable is that, yes, he wants to escape this, but he has a wrong understanding of who his father is. He doesn't know him on an intimate level. And that's like, it is just... This whole parable is pregnant with that understanding that he doesn't know his father. And because of that, it warps his whole understanding of how he relates to him. So after living how he wants to live, believing what he wants to go, and believing what he wants to believe, he finds himself in need. He has lost all his money, he has lost all his dignity, and he finds himself working in a pig farm. Now this is obviously a Jewish person working in this pig farm, which is a huge, huge deal because pigs are the dirtiest, most unpure animal in the Jewish faith, right? They don't interact with them at all. They don't eat pork at all. So if you've seen uh, Parks and Recreation, the TV show, um, there's a character, Ron Swanson. He's great. He's a carnivore of a human. All he eats is meat. 
That's it. Burgers and steak. Hilarious. And one day they put a salad in front of him. And they say, uh, hey, here's a salad. And Ron Swanson goes, excuse me, you've made a mistake. You've given me the food that my food eats. <laughs> this situation is much worse than Ron Swanson's situation because he longs to eat the food for the food that he's not allowed to eat. Basically, what I'm saying is the, humi- the level of humiliation for this guy he's experiencing. He is lower than low. He is degraded bottom of the barrel in society. That's where this Jewish man has found himself. And this is the result of trying to find yourself outside of the way that God sees you. This is the result of trying to find an identity in a world that does not value you. Listen, God values, if you are his child, if you are uh, walking with Jesus today, God values you so much and he sees you as so beautiful as compared to a world that could never conceive of valuing you as much as God does. Why? How do I know that? Because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's how. Because there you see total acceptance, total value, total worth in the fact that God saw us in our brokenness and still would go to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. There is no conception of value that the world can compare to with that, that God values so much to actually go to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. We have all the validation, all the acceptance we will ever need in the person of Jesus. So let's look at verse 17 now, and we're going to see this guy kind of come to his senses. Verse 17 says that uh, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was a still long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. Okay, so younger brother comes to himself comes to his senses, and he's ready to go home because he is in that great of need. So he goes home, and he's got his speech prepared, right? Like You remember back when you were a kid, and you, I don't know, you disobeyed, you did something wrong, and you start to think, what am I going to say? What am I going to say when I get home? And then you think in the return, your dad is going to be sitting at the kitchen table, tapping his foot, just ready to zing you, just ready to give you the discipline, Right? So that's what this brother is thinking is going to happen when he gets home. He's going to be disciplined, and he's going to get the what for, basically. So he's got his speech prepared, and he goes, Dad, I'm going to get serious now. How many of us have said this before, God? I'm going to get serious now. God, I'm going to do better. God, I'm going to try harder, and I'm going to be a better person. He realizes that, yes, his sin has disqualified him from sonship disqualified him from being in the family. He realizes that. And now he's going to try to earn his way back. Notice he says that I want to be a hired hand. I don't want to be a son. I don't want to be a slave. I want to be a hired hand. I want to be an employee. And I want to try and earn my relationship back with my father because he understands that he has been broken. But what he doesn't understand is that he has a broken relationship with God, with his father. He doesn't truly know him on an intimate level. 
So he would rather go back and try to earn his way back. Why? Because he has this transactional view between his father and himself. That if I can go and I can work my way, if I can be better, if I can be perfect, then I will earn his acceptance back. This is a transactional view, a transactional relationship with the father. And then you get to verse 20. He starts to do his speech, but then the father interrupts him. He doesn't let him get his speech off. He doesn't want any part of that. In verse 20, he says, um, verse 21, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. And I love that little tidbit, shoes on his feet. Give him the fancy stuff. Great. But also... Meet him in his biggest need. The kid is barefoot. Put some shoes on his feet. Not only does this father recognize his needs, but he gives him so much more, even extra. And he's not the kind of dad that's waiting at the kitchen table, ready to discipline his son when he comes home. No, he is a father who runs towards his child with emotional abandon. He doesn't care what he looks like. He's hiking up his skirt, running to meet his son and just bring him back into the family despite his rebellion, despite his ruining of his father's name and squandering all of his inheritance. So this younger brother, he saw a world that was really attractive. Really attractive. It looked great. It offered him freedom to live how he wanted to live. He could believe what he wanted to believe. And he could take total control of his life. I'm talking about us now. He sees a world that says, hey, you can take total control of your life. Live how you want to live and believe what you want to believe. It's all up to you. Truth is relative anyway. It is up to you to live how you want to live. That's what we are being told today. Both young, both old. That's what we're being told. That you can live how you want to live at nobody else's expense. Nobody should be able to judge. Just live how you want to live. That's the world that he's being, that he sees, and that is the world that we live in today. We can be totally free from authority. The only authority, the only rules in our life are the ones that we set for ourselves. But what he finds, this younger brother finds, is a world that hates him. A world that chews him up and spits him out, and he is in dire need, and he has to crawl back after losing control of his life. So question for us today is how many times have we gone up to God and say, God, I've got this under control. I can do this. I can beat my sin. I can muscle out of this temptation. I can get through this trial on my own. How many times have we thought that and and then lived like that? And then a month later, a decade later, we find ourselves stuck in a ditch having to crawl back home And then we get back home and say, God, give me another shot. Let me do better. Let me try a little harder, just like this younger brother is doing. He sees his brokenness. He sees his sin. Do we see our sin? Do we see our brokenness? Do we understand the level of separation between us and God that sin accomplishes? When we understand that, when we see the depths of our sin... It should lead us to a place of wanting to run back to the Father, as we just sang. It should put us in a place of repentance and confession. 
But if what that looks like is us going back to God to say one more time, God, I'm sorry, and here is my to-do list of things that I'm going to do to make myself better and to make you love me. Man, we've got a broken relationship. We've got a broken understanding of how we should relate to God just like this younger brother does. For him, going back to his father meant bondage. It meant slavery. It meant I have to work my way back. Church family, that's the opposite of the gospel. That is not why Jesus came. He did not come to show us the standard of holiness that we have to try to accomplish. That's not what Jesus did. In fact, Jesus accomplishes that standard on our behalf. And because of the cross and because of his death and resurrection, we are able to just, just receive the benefits of that because he did it in our place, right? That's what the gospel is. He thinks it's bondage. But we're going to see that uh, later on that it's not bondage. When he is accepted by the Father, it is actually life. So do not make the same mistake with God that this younger brother is making with his father. See, by him trying to um, gain acceptance back with his father, when he's trying to gain acceptance back, what he is actually trying to do is step right back into relationship right back into the, uh, the rules and right back into the law that drove him away in the first place. He's trying to step right back in to the relationship that he was trying to escape because he's got a broken relationship of who, of who his father is. So don't make the same mistake. And what that looks like for us is crawling back to God and saying, God, let me try again. Let me try and be better. Stepping back into a transactional relationship where as I perform, God loves me more. No. There is, uh, if you're a parent in the room, you know that there is, not, there is no level of disobedience that your child could do that diminishes your love for them. Disappointment? Maybe. But there is nothing that they could do that would diminish your actual love for them. This young brother does not understand that but that is very much the character of who his father is so for us like yeah the world is a broken place it really is it is a broken place and it will mess you up it will and i don't want you to be consumed by that but in the same breath i will say that if we're running back to morality if we're running back towards religion and we're running back towards just trying to live better then we're equally as far from God. That's not going to be the answer. Morality and religion is not going to be the answer that we're looking for. We need to know the real love of God. The real love of God that sought us out despite our brokenness, despite our sin, took our sins to the cross so that they could be forgiven because there on the cross is validation, acceptance, and adoption from Jesus. And nowhere else can you find identity, true identity, and nowhere else can you find truth outside of what God has done for us on the cross and brought us brand new life. So this first brother, he's got a broken understanding, a transactional view of his relationship with God. But there's a second brother that we need to talk about this morning, a second older brother. So let's pick it up, verse uh, 25. You can find your place in 25, and we'll read through the end of this story. Verse 25 says, Now this older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, 
He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated with him or pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat and I might celebrate with my friends. I find that hilarious. Like what a teenager thing to say. You didn't even give me a goat. Teenagers, I love you. I love you. But this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So, he finds out that his long-lost brother has returned. And what should be an emotional reunion is not that at all. Some of you are going to see family for the first time in a while this weekend. Uh, I hope you're reunions are not like this (laughs) like i'm excited to see my brothers and it's gonna be like a hug it's not gonna be this so i'm hoping that's true for you guys too this weekend but he finds out his uh long lost brother is back and he's furious because he sees this party going on and he is uh jealous and then he gets his dad to come out and leave the celebration that he uh he's thrown and then he says look Teenagers, start a conversation with your parents like that and let me know how that goes. It's not going to go well. He, 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 in that moment, is communicating to us and to his father that, hey, I do not value the relationship I have with you as a father and son. I don't value you as a father. I just want your things. So him treating his father like this shows us that he does not value that relationship. He just wants the father's Things Because everything that the father owns belongs to him because he's the older brother and he will inherit it uh, someday. But remember, this is supposed to be the good son. For the Pharisees listening to this parable, they're rooting for this guy. He's the one that stayed home. He's the one that did mess up. He's the one that apparently served him all of his days and never, ever disobeyed. This is the good son. This is who they are rooting for. But he is... Yes, he's obedient, but he's also self-righteous. He's trying to be his own savior. And in this, in this uh, parable, he's showing his true colors. He's showing us that he has no value in preserving his relationship with his father. He doesn't care about him. He only cares about his things. If you look at verse 29, he says, Look, I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Never done anything wrong. He's never cut class. He's never told a lie. He's never snuck out. Never disobeyed. Never talked back. But you have never given me even a little tiny party that I can celebrate with my friends. So is he jealous? Yeah. He sees the unfairness that is happening before him. He sees the size of this party and he is jealous. And I think we can boil this older brother's attitude down to the fact that he sees... His inheritance diminishing right before his eyes. He can see the robes that belong to him being given to this brother who squandered everything, who completely made a wreck of his life and disgraced the family 
but we're giving him my robes and we're giving him my rings and my livestock. He sees what is supposed to belong to him being given away for free, it seems like. And that's what it looks like to this younger brother, right? It is a free gift. He had this whole plan. I'm going to go in and I'm going to work my way back in. But no, he's just completely accepted right back in for free. So this older brother, he sees this huge festival going on. He sees his inheritance diminishing right before his eyes, being chewed up and eaten, really. And he's upset because he has done so much work for his father. So much work. So much righteousness. So much moral living in order to perform for his father, and he resents his father. So what Jesus is doing with these two brothers is at one point the Pharisees are rooting for this guy. The Pharisees are kind of like the older brother. They are living for performance, hoping to gain um, some kind of moral up, uh, upstanding or status even. That's why they do what they do. That is their motivation in order to gain, gain, gain. So they see themselves in this character and they're like, yeah, let's root for him. And now Jesus has turned the tables on them. You've got this one son who lives in rebellion and the other who lives in self-righteousness. One lives for self-discovery, the younger brother, and the older is living for moral conformity. Us as believers today, we can find ourselves in these two. You don't have to be a wayward child to see yourself in the prodigal son, and you don't have to be a literal Pharisee monk to see yourself in the, uh, in the older brother. We can see ourselves in both these guys. Both are searching for ultimate, mean, ultimate meaning, and both are lost and both need to come home. Both need to know the true love of their father. So to wrap this up, I just have a couple points of application uh, to give you. Some of you may be a younger brother type. Some of you may be an older brother type. I know myself. I know I grew up in the church since I was negative, two year, negative one year old. Okay, I have every scar on my body happened inside a church building. I am, I have been for a long time an older brother and, and still have to wrestle with that sometimes. Older brother type. Or some of you may be a younger brother type. You came to faith late. Or you can just see a kind of victory in your life in that way. What it looks like to be a younger brother is you're searching for self-discovery. You're searching for truth. You're searching for identity. But you're looking for those things outside of scripture, outside of God trying to find those things, basically self-validation in a world that hates you, just like this younger brother learned. That's what that looks like. For an older brother, it looks like you are enslaved to good deeds, enslaved to doing what is right so that you can prove to yourself and prove to God that you've got this under control and hoping to one day find yourself in heaven. That's an older brother type. So for both new and old Christians, younger or older brothers, we need to repent of our sin, but we also need to repent of our own self-righteousness. We need to repent of our sin. Repent of the thing that takes you away from God. Like, listen, everything, you, like, you know when you see it, sin is so attractive and so enthralling to us We've got to repent from that. We've got to turn and run away from that. But we also need to learn to repent of self-righteousness. And what that means is that we understand our motivation for why we do things, why we don't do things, and why we do do good deeds. 
understand what, what am I doing this for? Am I living because I want to know God or am I living because I want to know God's things? I want to know his protection. I want to know his provision. All good things, but they're not God himself. There's a difference there. So uh, repenting of our sin, but also repenting of our self-righteousness, we need to understand the motivation for why we do things. Do we do it because we want to protect ourselves, or, or do we do it because we love God? We need to repent of sin and self-righteousness. Second, we need to understand and recognize the cost of our adoption. I learned this from a, a guy named Tim Keller. He's a pastor in New York City. He helped me understand this parable. We need to understand the cost of our adoption. He points out that in this story, the story ends on a cliffhanger. But it's also different from the other two parables in this chapter, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. In both of those stories, you have a shepherd who goes out and finds the lost sheep, leaves the 99 to find the one, or a woman who loses a coin and goes, finds it, and rejoices. In both stories, you have somebody who goes and searches, searches for the lost item at possibly their own expense. This parable doesn't have that. It doesn't ha- it's absent of the guy who goes and searches for uh, the younger brother. And I think Jesus does this for a reason. He wants us to feel that absence. He wants us to recognize that in the other two, Somebody went and chased. Somebody sought after the lost item. But in this one, nobody does. Because the truth is, in the story, in that culture and time, the older brother should have been the one. He should have been the one to say, all right, Father, I see that you're in pain, emotional turmoil, and I'm going to go and chase after our, my brother, your son. I'm going to go get him, and I'm going to bring him back. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all. He sits and stays where it is safe, stays where it is comfortable, in order to just keep performing. That's what that older brother does. He doesn't go and chase after his younger brother. So why does Jesus give us a bad older brother in this story? Because he, two reasons. He wants the Pharisees to see that he's talking about them. So many parables are talking about the Pharisees. He wants them to see that he's talking about them. But secondly, he wants you and me to recognize that we need somebody to chase after us, somebody to seek after us and to bring us home. We need him. And Jesus is the one who in reality will fill that gap. He will fill that role and fill the need that we have to bring us back. So Jesus gives us a bad older brother to give us a longing for a better, for a true older brother. And Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. He has secured your salvation on the cross. Your adoption as a child of God. And he has done it at great cost to himself. See, when the younger brother came back into the family, he received that acceptance for free. For him. But it wasn't free. It was costly. It was costly to his older brother who saw his inheritance diminishing, and he was furious about it. He resented his father. But Jesus, Jesus too, our forgiveness was costly for him. But he didn't lose an inheritance. He didn't lose property. He lost his life. 
That's what Jesus has done on the cross. It was so costly, and he was so, he saw our value, and he loved us enough to go to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, willingly. Pay the debt we owe that we can never, ever repay, and we can never earn our way back. Jesus came to where we are in our brokenness while we were still sinners. It dies on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. So the cost, the cost for your adoption, if you know Jesus today, if you're walking with him, understand the cost of your adoption. It was the blood of a righteous Savior spilt on the cross. It's Thanksgiving. Like there's something to be thankful for this week, right? We go home, we go on Thursday. People are going to ask you, what are you thankful for? There is something right there. That Jesus would come and die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. So it was costly. Our adoption was costly. So I am praying and hoping this week as we go into our families, into these homes, and to celebrate holidays and to be together, that we would recognize that cost. That we would recognize what Jesus has done. Despite our deep, deep brokenness, he still loves us enough to go to the cross. But also that we would be a church full of believers who are ready to repent of our sin, but also of our self-righteousness. That we would stop trying to be our own saviors and just fall back and rest into the grace of Jesus who was that perfect Savior. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for this story of these two brothers. And I just pray, God, that wherever we find ourselves, a younger brother type or an older brother type, that we would all, that we recognize that we are far from you, Lord, and that we would continue to fall back and rest in your arms. Your wide open arms, Lord, that are just ready to take us in, take us back in, no matter how far we've gone, no matter where we've been, no matter who we are or what we have done, Lord. Your arms are wide open and your acceptance is ready for us, Lord. So I pray as we uh, even go home and celebrate this holiday that we would be grateful. We would be a grateful people. That we would recognize that, Lord, what you have done for us, we can never repay and we can never, ever work back. Jesus, but that's just the point. It's that your grace and your mercy is free. So Lord, would you help us to respond uh, to that as we uh, worship here in the next few minutes. And Lord, just thank you for uh, the story. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.